0: Miss the show no problem on point and on this podcast, after days of Ukrainian resistance, Vladimir Putin now seems to want to punish the country and he's launching lethal weaponry into residential and major city hubs. And his military is surrounding Ukraine's capital as the president Zelensky begs the EU for help. But Boris Johnson made clear NATO isn't getting involved. Not yet anyway, but of course, depending on how far Putin takes his lunacy, we may not have a choice. And there are Canadians who are coming to presidential Zelensky's call, and they are heading over to fight. So we'll talk to a man who's helping coordinate this grassroots effort here in Canada. And if you wanted to go over, we'll tell you what you need. Let's get talking.
1: is on point with alex Pearson.
0: if putin is not stopped here he will go further he will go to poland he will go to to finland to the baltic states he will not stop here after
1: genocide in ukraine he will attack more countries because a guy like hitler he will not stop until he is stopped by force and we need force because he doesn't understand the the language of diplomacy
0: Ukrainians beg for the help of the world and NATO is not coming to their rescue. Alex Pearson with you on this Tuesday, March 1st. Great to uh, have you along for the start of a new month, which is not, you know, it's more normally more exciting because we're heading closer to spring. But these days, uh, it's pretty uh, dark in our world. Biden is now a wartime president, so he's going to have to be pivoting away from what he wanted to talk about, which was his Build Back Better plan. And so I'm going to be listening, and we should be listening to see if he changes course on his energy policies, which have been a disaster, and what he will say about NATO and the message he sends to Putin. And I'm sure he's got a lot to say after watching some really vile attacks that happened today, certainly uh, Ukraine's largest city, a place called Kharkiv. Took the uh, brunt of the hits today. It was bombed. It was bombed for a number of days before this, but uh, today the Russian military dropped two cruise missiles right in the heart of this city of three million people. This is where you find, you know, the opera houses, the concert halls. It's got hospital or hospitals, uh, children's hospitals, restaurants, and this big square where people go to meet and sip coffee and drink and hang out and and do their thing. And so that's what he did today. And also bombed a TV tower in Kiev, cutting off a, a lot of information to people there, and um, the Balbin Yar Holocaust Memorial site was also bombed, and this is a site where thousands of Jews were killed during the Holocaust, which I think speaks to the kind of piece of crap this man is. I mean, just how how low he will go. But it all happened, of course, while Volodymyr Zelensky was addressing the European Union this morning, where uh, he delivered a passionate, passionate speech. He accused Putin of war crimes and begged the international community for help, which brought even the person translating him to tears.
1: Freedom Square, dozens of killed ones. This is the price of freedom. We are fighting
0: just for our land. And for our freedom. Yeah, got very emotional. And he got a standing ovation for this speech, uh, but he didn't get what he was begging for, which is a no-fly zone um, ordered by NATO over Ukraine. And it's not going to happen. Boris Johnson uh, basically said today that despite the evil of Putin, NATO intervention is not on the agenda which guy? it's got to be crushing for Ukrainians because they're in this David versus Goliath fight for their lives. And they're having everything thrown at them. That they have done this well is just simply astonishing. And right now they're waiting for this 40-mile-long convoy of Russian tanks and weaponry moving to the capital of Kiev. And for whatever reason in the last few hours, the Pentagon's reporting that it's stalled. You've got a situation where tanks ran out of gas, some ran out of food, and in others, soldiers are apparently just walking away and saying, don't want to do this anymore. Which, of course, seeing the shots of these things, you would think that this would be a perfect opportunity for someone to fly over and bomb the hell out of this, but uh, that has not happened, not yet. But then just before the show, I saw some breaking news reporting that um, Ukraine's Air Force just destroyed a second large convoy of about 800 tanks and um, vehicles near Moldova which strikes a pretty big win for Ukraine, which will just further irritate Putin, who has been uh, pretty much undermined by Ukrainian pushback that he obviously didn't expect. It's pretty astonishing what they have accomplished with very, very little. But no one um, should underestimate this monster or how far he'll go. Uh, Major General Davis Fraser, Fraser, who comes on this show quite a bit, feels that uh, we're going to see a turn very, very quickly because he feels Putin will be seeking revenge and will use more firepower. And so he's expecting in the next uh, day or so that Russian troops will take to the streets, hunting Ukrainians, killing as many as they can. And you may or may not have heard this. On Monday, Putin used what are called vacuum bombs, like the father of all bombs. There were two of them which hit um, schools and residential areas. These bombs literally suck The oxygen out of the air as they ignite this massive fireball and if you're anywhere near it 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 leaves you unable to breathe and they're only supposed to be used on military targets but you know because Putin doesn't follow any rules at all he is clearly willing to destroy anything and so he's using them in urban centers and you think he's got even worse weapons that he's got available to him so there's no question that he's he will go, I think, as far as he can. I don't think he's going to spare anybody at this point. And I don't think he cares at all that he is a war criminal because he's not going to stop and he's not going to report to court to to face his crimes. And no matter the pleas that we hear from Ukrainians, unless there's a different strategy being discussed behind the scenes, NATO and the EU, EU made very clear today that they are going to only be sending lethal weapons And more aid, which, you know, just begs the question, and and I think we know the answer, is like, why did they wait so long to get this firing power to them? Which drives me nuts, because I know on this show alone, I've been talking about this Russian buildup with Marcus Kolga since November. It's not a secret. They've been amassing troops at the border for months. Why did they wait so long? Because by the time it arrives, it'll be too late. You know, these Ukrainians are fighting with their hands. They're literally, there are pictures of them tonight in the streets pushing back against Russian vehicles coming into the capital city of Kiev, just pushing. They're just going up to these tanks and cars and pushing them back with their brute strength. But, I mean, that they're brave. But I think a lot of people want to know, like, what is the red line for NATO to come into this thing? Like, how long does this thing continue? How long does the world allow Vladimir Putin to kill women and babies, and innocent people every single day? Like, what's the red line? Because while Canada and our NATO allies are saying no boots on the ground, um, internationally, uh, people are responding to President Zelensky's plea for help, not just in the UK, not just in the United States, but Canadians are signing up right now to go to Poland and cross into Ukraine. And the Trudeau government says, we wouldn't advise that, but they also said, we won't stop you. And so, a little bit later in the show, at around eight o'clock, I'm going to be speaking with the organizer of something called Operation Stand with Ukraine, which is helping Canadians get to Ukraine. They'll get a crash course on how to fight, what you will need to survive, equipment that you will need. Uh, but this is one of the many um, vet groups that would uh, were involved trying to help protect Afghan interpreters and get them out of the country before that uh, fell. So, you know, NATO may not have an appetite to do battle. But there are a lot of vets and a lot of just everyday people from this country who will not sit by, and they aren't, because they say they can't. And we'll talk about this throughout the show, because I'd be curious, there's new polling on that, and uh, surprisingly, Canadians are fairly hawkish on taking action. A quarter of this country, no matter the casualties suffered, say, we're going to have to go further. Well, we're in Freedom Square here in the middle of uh, Kharkiv that was hit uh, by a strike last night. You can see complete devastation here. Um, The top of this building uh, behind me has been completely taken out. There's just rubble all over the streets uh, and people wandering around assessing the damage. Clearly, we're not going to loiter here long, but it seems like Russia has switched tactics from trying to hit military targets at the beginning of this war to now trying to take out symbols of the Ukrainian state. So, Kharkiv is Ukraine's second largest city. It has taken a couple of direct hits from two missiles earlier today that hit at the heart of the city, taking out government buildings, uh, something called Freedom Square. It's basically the hub of a city of three million where families hang out, they go to dine. It's said that a number of children, a number of people were killed. Um, And Kharkiv has been targeted by relentless bombings, as have all Ukrainian cities since the start. And Putin's made clear he does not care. He does not care who he kills, he's been embarrassed. And he seems to be wanting to go further. And of course, the ultimate goal is Kyiv, the capital, uh, which so far stunningly remains in Ukrainian hands. But it, too, has been targeted. It uh, lost a TV uh, communications tower today. And it's surrounded by Russians who are said to be soon set free in the streets to fire and kill whomever crosses their path. Finn de is a freelance Canadian journalist who is in Ukraine. He writes for Palladium magazine. Good to have you, Finn. Um, we have been Thanks, chatting Alex. with you over the last few days. You were you were in Kharkiv and you managed, uh, I talked to you over the weekend, you were trying to get the hell out. As you said, uh, it was taking massive hits to its oil depots and all around, but now you're in a place called Dnipro, which is kind of center of Ukraine. Can you kind of take us through uh, what you're seeing and what it's like on the ground as far as being hit and the, the attacks
2: yeah, well, Kharkiv, uh, Kharkiv started to become more and more unsafe in the city center as the war uh, dragged on over the last five days. Um, at the in the very beginning, it was just. Uh, it was just the outskirts of the city where the fighting was taking place. And slowly but surely, the Russians started to target more uh, more locations than the city center. And just a few hours after I left, they targeted that building in Freedom Square, as you mentioned. And, and, I, and I had walked past that building many times. Like it was 350 meters away from where I was staying. So we really got out right in time. Um, somebody woke me up, a journalist from Rolling Stone woke me up at like, I don't know, it was like 8 in the morning. We were trying to finally get some sleep after, uh, you know, but after going to sleep, having the last barrage of missiles and and we were just trying, ca- trying to catch a few hours. And then uh, and then we heard that we had a ride to Denebro. We had to leave right away. So we just grabbed all our stuff as soon as we could and and hopped in the car and left. And, uh, and and I'm very glad to be here now.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're not new to war reporting. I think you've been in Baghdad. You've been around. But um, what's the feeling? I've been in
2: okay. Baghdad. I've been in Nagorno-Karabakh. I've been in Lebanon and in the Syrian border. I've, I've been. Uh, yes, I have done a lot of war reporting.
0: Right. What's different about this? I mean, it's not safe no matter what you do, but but does it seem on the ground there that people know uh, or other journalists yourself? Is it a feeling that uh, it's very unpredictable what Putin's going to do or what kind of characterize that if you can?
2: Um, I don't I think it's I, I think that as as this drags out, as Western leaders and countries run out of ammunition to punish the Russian government, uh, then Putin is going to start to get more uh, indiscriminate and more aggressive with his attacks. And we shouldn't really say Putin. I think it's, I think, I think people are far too uh, singular with their, um, I don't know, their attribution of, of all the decision-making. There's, there's a lot of machinery of the Russian government that, that make these decisions. But anyway, as there, as, as the, as the sanctions get, get, um, get stacked on and as more and more countries condemn this and cut ties and, and, and demand that they're, the businesses in their countries stop doing, uh, stop working in Russia. Then it's it becomes harder for Putin and the Kremlin leadership uh, not to justify just uh, leveling uh, cities um, uh, without any without any uh, discretion for civilian life because they've already um, taken the punishment for that. So I, I think that's the stage where we're at. I think five or six days. It's I think it's yes, it's the fifth day of the war. Um, I think that in the next few days, the the Russian government will say that. Um, we've given people ample time to leave. We have not disabled or, or targeted the railway tracks, um, and we now consider anybody to remain in these cities a civilian threat. And I think that is uh, that that is that is going to be when this starts to get extremely scary for every single person in Ukraine. And I'm just trying to uh, I'm just trying to you know catch the last train out of here before that happens. Are you trying to now get out of the country? I mean, it's is a discussion. Like we're trying to stay a few hours ahead of the war like as the russians move deeper into ukraine we're just trying to be like one or two days west of them right um so we might go to odessa tomorrow Uh, which is a city uh, that has been under attack and and the Ukrainians are still holding it. And then from Udessa, we can take a train uh, straight to the Romanian border where we'll get out.
0: You know, we're watching from a a world away, the Ukrainian people who have really won the hearts and minds around the world. You know, they're fighting for their lives. They're fighting for democracy. They're fighting for their freedom. Um, But it's so hard to think, and you can probably explain it better, Finn. It's impossible to think that they can win this given what they're up against. This is David versus Goliath fight, yet their hearts are there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't know if it's the right way to look at it. I think that there's going to have to be um, some concessions from the Ukrainian government. Uh, if they want to hold on to Kiev, if they want to hold on to, you know, any part of eastern Ukraine, I think that, well, Putin has already stated that a recognition of Crimea is a prerequisite, as is recognition of the Luhansk and, and Donetsk republics. Um, but yes, I mean, in, in, in the end, the Russian government just can rush, marshal so mu- so many more resources than uh than than the ukrainian can despite having all this you know help at the 11th hour from germany and and, and lithuania and, and and nato allies which is which is very which is very escalatory in the in the eyes of the russian government of course um, but even with all that help i think that if the russians are willing to win this war they will but i mean we're already seeing i so i have a friend who. Uh, got got a note back from uh, from a German diplomat working in Poland and they did an estimation there. They said that uh, Ukrainian casualties right now are between three and 3,500 mm. Russians between uh, I think 3,800 and 4,500. So uh, this is, this is the amount of casualties that the, the uh, United States military incurred throughout the entirety of the Iraq war. So yeah. is the Russian government willing to win this war? Because they're going to have to take on probably, you know, three, five, Six or seven times that, if they really, uh, if they really want to, and I and I think that, um, yeah, fighting their way through these cities is is a massive challenge um, because the urban warfare favors the defender. Um, for the, the defender in urban warfare can camp out in, in in tall buildings. So the Russians, when they when they push into the city, they have no idea where to shoot. Every window is a threat. They mm-hmm. also know they know the terrain well. They know the area. They can hide out in, in basements and 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 they have their networks there um, and so it's it's going to be a massive challenge uh, for the Russian government to win this and of course we've um, we've seen that um, we've seen reports saying that Putin thought this war would be over in one or three days and, and he's just absolutely furious that uh, that uh, that it wasn't um, I'm not sure I'm not sure if they could have miscalculated that badly but um, still I, I think so I think what will happen is that um, a ceasefire will be called after the Russians take at least one of the, at least a few of the big cities, and then Putin will claim that this was victory. And then there will be uh, th- there will be some sort of uh, pr- prolonged stalemate uh, until the next war, which will come in a few years. That's my guess, and it's it's very foggy, but I think that's what's going to happen. It'll that's come fog. in phases. Yeah, and, and after yeah. this ceasefire is called, we're going to have you know millions of people are going to leave Ukraine.
0: Yeah, and, well, and,
2: and it's. Uh, and it's a, exit. Easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier to get up in a country when nobody's in there. Sorry for cutting you off.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Uh, that's understandable. But th- that, of course, uh, that flea has already started with, what, 700,000 people now running to the borders. Well, look, uh, you stay safe and we'll keep checking to see where you are. But thanks for the bird's eye view, Finn.
2: Thank you so much, Alex.
0: Bye. That is Finn Depontier, who is a freelance Canadian journalist in Ukraine. He writes for Palladium magazine if you want to read some of his coverage. So we'll keep in touch with him.
1: Um, Like, I, f- I feel like it, it's just the right thing to do.
0: So that's the voice of Anthony Walker. He's a, a Canadian actor who has now gone to Ukraine to pick up arms and help Ukrainians fight. And for now, NATO's not taking a formal role putting boots on the ground. But that's not going to be stopping people from Canada mobilizing. And uh, over the weekend, Melanie Jolie doesn't advise Canadians going to that area. But she also said, uh, choice is up to you. And so there are groups across Canada that are gathering um, and organizing to head overseas to cross the border into Ukraine. And they're getting the help from a lot of the same veteran groups that mobilized to try and help get the interpreters out of Afghanistan or keep them safe as long as they could. And there's now something called Operation Stand with Ukraine that will offer Canadians a crash course on what you need to know to survive, how to fight, how to get to the destination. And the person who is spearheading this is the same philanthropist and vet who testified at just last night at a committee looking into our failures to help Afghan. His name is Chris Eklund. He's the founder of Canadian Heroes and Fight for Ukraine. Good to have you, Chris.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex.
0: All right. So, um, you know, when you get a situation like we're looking at right now, a a kind of a war thrust into your face, it becomes very emotional for people. So I understand why people want to do something. They want to help. I didn't think Canadians would act this soon. How how much are you hearing of people wanting to go over to help?
1: Well, just from uh, different reporters and such, the number right now is under a dozen, but uh, that's only what's reported. So the true number isn't known. But I, I think in uh, days and weeks to come, we'll we'll get a better idea on the exact numbers.
0: Yeah, they're starting to see this across the uh, United States and UK, where you see, you know, I was reading an article over the weekend of, of Americans uh, wanting to pick up arms and go because they don't want to wait and see what NATO does.
1: Yeah, that's right. The uh, there was, I think, the BBC yesterday. Mm-hmm. They were showing uh, a clip of uh, people in London that were at the Ukrainian embassy, and there was like a dozen people. And and they had a guard outside handing out applications, so they interviewed a few people. But yes, this is uh, occurring, no doubt, uh, around the world, and it'll it'll continue.
0: So you started Operation Stand with Ukraine, and, and so take me through how this works.
1: Well, we we would have to go back, uh, sadly, um, to when we had two Canadian soldiers that were uh, killed uh, when they were fighting alongside our, the Kurdish forces in, uh, in Syria and against ISIS. So mm-hmm. um, one was a civilian, the other was a civilian, but he was a, a retired soldier. So um, the whole kind of genesis here is to give people the critical information and education that is needed, so then they can make that decision on their own—a a qualified decision and hearing from veterans, et cetera, on what is all involved in, and what they're going to be faced with, et cetera. So it's not just an emotional decision, but it'll be—they'll have more information to have more of an informed decision they can make then.
0: Yeah, I mean, you would know because you've done this stuff. Um, Going to war and say you're going to war is one thing, but actually going is a completely uh, different uh, animal in itself because we're talking about an extremely harsh environment. Uh, It's very cold in Ukraine right now, dealing with a a super military power. I mean, it's not just as easy as heading to Ukraine.
1: Yeah, so it's as we say, uh, you know, this is not playing a video game where, you know, you, you... you get killed and you come back to life in five seconds and and all that. It's not a first-person shooter type game on, on video. This is real life, you know, like life and death. And you know, the the people need to have all of the critical information because you know, like for myself personally, um, the the last two Canadians we that, that died, uh, you know, we repatriated them and. Yeah it's something where when you go into a combat zone you you hope for the best but you have to plan you know for for the worst so what we want to do is to make sure that you know not just canadians but but anybody around the world that ends up at, at our our website that just went live today will will have all of that information right there yeah. so they you know can learn from veterans know what's involved what they got to do. And it's, a, it's things that people don't even think about. It's like, have you seen your dentist? Have you seen your doctor? If you're on prescribed pills, your pharmacist, you, you need to get, you know, like one year's worth of supplies. Um, you, you know, when we had one of our Canadians uh, that, that was killed. It, was, it came down to the situation where when the uh, coroner did the autopsy, it wasn't him. It was somebody different. So now all the questions came up. So it's something where I had to get a hold of uh, the family dentist and explain everything going on, get all the dental records, send it over to the coroner's office overseas, have a second autopsy. Um, so it's... It's things like this that everybody needs to be aware of so they can do all of the things they need to do to get themselves ready. Um, you know, do, do you have a will? You have to do this. You, you don't want to put yourself into a situation where when you get out there, you become a burden, you know, not just to yourself, but to you, the people around you and, and to people back home. You need to enter into this with your eyes completely wide open, um, educate yourself, get all the information, talk to other veterans, and then you can make an informed choice.
0: Yeah, um, it's one thing for President Zelensky to put out the call, um, but he and his countrymen and and women are are doing it for their very survival. It's a completely different thing when the call goes out and you think, okay, this is a glorious thing I will do, but there's absolutely no glory, as you well know, in war. It is about as ugly and cruel as it can get. Um, You know, you've seen a lot in your time about that. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, you know, and and this is the thing. I... uh... Personally, I've come against people that basically, you know, have this kind of glory thing about warfare, and 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 it's not. You know, you can be the roughest, toughest sob, you know, yeah. but when it comes down to it, no, we're, and that's basically what people need to be aware of. So I, I have so much thanks in my in my heart for everybody that is stepping up to the plate around the world and that is fantastic because we need to do this don't get me wrong Yeah. but it's something where once you get into theater um, you are on your own we have no clue what the supply lines are and mm-hmm. when I was a much younger man in the army this is what I did I was in logistics so when you get out there and we don't know where the enemy is and, and how could he cut off the supply route you have to make sure you have everything with you um, I'd hate to see people simply show up at the border with their passport and uh, you know jeans t-shirt and say here I am so we want to make sure that they have as much kit as as possible um, and it's, it's a lot of the little things that people never ever think about because I mean right now um, we're starting to, I just got another email yesterday from uh, what, the Kiev Independent, the, the newspaper,
0: yeah.
1: um, with, with a list of stuff that they need for their own journalists. And it, it, a lot of this stuff has nothing to do with military. So this is what, it's, it's a big educational thing. And, and that's basically what we want to do first with, uh, with the new operation and then we might, uh, we're might. we also looking at even uh, a little bit of a training scenario um, for, for when the people get on the ground in, in Europe to, to basically have a, a crash course of uh, basic training so they have uh, some more knowledge on weaponry and, and, and everything else before they uh, get into Ukraine.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you well know, vets come back from uh, you know battles and war very, very broken in this country. Um, they hardly get government support as it is. And the, and there is no government support if you're deciding to pick up arms and go, you are absolutely on your own. I don't want to uh, get off this uh, conversation with you, Chris, because last night, um, coincidentally, and, and we were going to talk about this uh, solely, uh, but you actually testified at this committee that is looking into Afghanistan and the failures of the uh, government to get people out of that country. This is something that you and in- a Several other vets uh, worked years and years and years on, put a lot of money, put a lot of heart into it, put a lot of work in getting these interpreters out. A lot of them didn't get out. A lot of them are actually stuck in Ukraine right now, but you testified at this committee. It's not getting nearly the attention, or if any at all, because of the situation we are in now. Um, But what were the thoughts that you really wanted to impart uh, to that committee?
1: That the government lied to me. That it was just one big fat lie, and there was never a plan, And uh, my my testimony, I I actually never testified, and I I put a written statement in, a written testimony, simply because the way the committees are set up is uh, an embarrassment. And uh, one of our generals of the three got cut off in his introduction, which was just the absolute most disrespectful thing I have ever seen in my lifetime. And obviously, you know, a lot of people were extremely irritated over that, But there was was absolutely no respect from the chair. The way the committee is set up, you have an extremely short time to give your introduction. And it's impossible for me to do that on a few minutes to explain the entire operation and everything and how um, nothing came true to what I was promised. So yeah. my testimony is out there. I've already sent to some to some journalists. I highly doubt it's going to hit the front page. One of the generals said nothing's going to happen out of it, and and that's probably true. Um, you know, no one's going to get disciplined, fired, et cetera. It's just one of these things where myself, other veterans, and that it's like okay, you know, that old saying, f- fool me once, right? Yeah. Sure. So. You know, now here we are again in another disaster that's unfolding. Well, you can be guaranteed that none, none of our team is, is going to be trusting our government moving forward. And anything that they say, you know, that they promise, no, we'll, we'll take it with a grain of salt and uh, we'll simply go ahead with what we know needs to be done.
0: Yeah. And I totally understand. I mean, and by the way, and you you know this, and uh, I mean, the failures of Afghanistan, I think were probably watched very, very carefully by Putin. And he knows that we are not serious. And uh, you got to wonder, as we deal with this new humanitarian crisis, if they actually learn anything at all. But uh, that will come true, I guess, in time. Look, we'll, we'll keep talking about it, Chris. I know this committee is underway. I know that there's testimony coming out. I will make sure that it gets covered. And I will make sure uh, that we continue to talk about it. But I appreciate you uh, chatting with Tonight.
1: Just one last thing, Alex. The the one good thing that can come out of Afghanistan is the legislation that I am introducing, to which I'm calling the no one left behind bill. And mm-hmm. we as a country need to get this enacted into law. So the next time our country ever steps foot on foreign soil, we are legislated by law on how we act as a country and how we engage anybody in their country. And if we do that, then that is going to be the one good thing that comes out of this, and uh, we'll never, ever have this problem again.
0: And sadly, that may come sooner than we think. God help us uh, that it doesn't, but nonetheless, Chris, we'll talk again for sure. I promise you that. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That's Chris Eklund. He's the founder of Canadian Heroes and Fight for Ukraine. But the website is Operation Stand with Ukraine. It's now up and running. So if you think this is something that uh, you can handle, the information is there. But uh, absolutely, we'll continue uh, talking about the Afghan committee as well, because it deserves to be covered. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point.